world is on Facebook. Now, I don't mean when somebody you just met sends you a friend request and you go, oh, I just met them, I want to connect with them, yes. I mean when someone you know, someone you're already friends with on Facebook, somebody you have been friends with on Facebook for years, I want to talk about when one of those people sends you a friend request. So you know how this works. I think we've all received these at this point. Some spammer creates a profile of your loved one and suddenly you're getting a request to be friends with them. And you think, I was already friends with that person. Uh, I had one of these moments this last fall that made me laugh a little bit. Um, sometime last fall, I got a friend request from my dad. The one who died in 2021. And my first thought was, oh, there's Facebook in heaven. But I pretty quickly figured out what was going on. You know, nice try, spammer. I know you're not my real dad. But I, the public service announcement is this. When you get one of these requests, don't just delete it. There is a way to report these people. So click on the profile. And on their profile page, you'll see three little dots on the right side of the screen. And if you select find support or report, find support or report, you can let Facebook know that this person isn't who they say they are. And you can even say who they're trying to impersonate. It's really easy, it takes less than 30 seconds. Okay, so that's kind of a random start to a sermon, right? But we are going to talk about invitations today. We're gonna hear a parable about invitations. Except that a whole bunch of people who get the invite to the feast don't attend. Do they not know what's going on? You know, why don't they show up? Maybe they think it's a sham. It's a spammer who sent them the invite and they just hit delete. But whatever the reason is that these people don't choose to show up, it does beg the question, how do you know where the kingdom of God is? Because certainly if the folks who had gotten the invite knew what it was for, they would have come. So we have to ask, how do you recognize the kingdom? How do you know that's what the invitation is for? How do you make sure you show up? How do you verify that it's not from a spammer? So Jesus gives us this parable about a wedding feast. And what we find out is the way you know it's from the kingdom is you follow the folks who need the kingdom the most. So with that, let's hear our scripture today from Matthew chapter 22. Once more, Jesus spoke to them in parables saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who gave a wedding banquet for his son. He sent his slaves to call those who had been invited to the wedding banquet, but they, could, they would not come. Again, he sent other slaves saying, tell those who have been invited, look, I have prepared my dinner, my oxen and my fat calves have been slaughtered and everything is ready. Come to the wedding banquet. But they made light of it and went away. One to his farm, another to his business, while the rest seized his slaves, mistreated them and killed them. The king was enraged. He sent his troops, destroyed those murderers and burned their cities. 
Then he said to his slaves, the wedding is ready, but those invited were not worthy. Go therefore to the main streets and invite everyone you find to the wedding banquet. Those slaves went out into the streets and gathered all whom they found, both good and bad. So the wedding hall was filled with guests. But when the king came in to see the guests, he noticed a man there who was not wearing a wedding robe. And he said to him, friend, how did you get in here without a wedding robe? And he was speechless. Then the king said to the attendants, bind him hand and foot and throw him into the outer darkness where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. For many are called, but few are chosen. May God bless this reading. All right, before we begin, I want to make a note about this last passage. I am going to talk about verses 11 through 14, but not until the communion meditation. So when I get to the end of the sermon and you're like, I want to know why he threw the guy out without the robe on, just hold tight. This sermon could have been, we could have been going into the Purdue game if I kept going. But we have another week of Lent and another parable, another way in which Jesus is telling us what the kingdom is like. And we've discussed this. Jesus uses parables to rely on these images that people would know. You know, a vineyard or a wedding feast. These are common images that would make sense in people's minds. And he also uses them because they can be really challenging. They don't readily tell us what we expect to hear. So today we have this wedding banquet. The kingdom of God, it turns out, is like a king who threw a wedding feast. And this feast really reveals the vibrant welcome of God's kingdom You know, by the end of this passage, who hasn't been invited to the kingdom? Just about everybody you can imagine has an invitation. The king begins with those you would expect, people who are on his level. But it turns out they all have something better to do. So no one is coming to the feast. The king has already ordered all of the food. They've already decorated for the feast. There's no way they're not having the celebration. And so he sends his servants out into the streets to find some folks, anyone really, who will respond to the invitation. And you know, in Luke, this parable happens in a, in a way as well. And it's actually a little bit more specific about who it is that the king invites to the feast. Luke 14 reads that it is the poor and crippled and blind and lame who were invited. And what we hear in this parable is that those folks show up. So here's the thing with this parable. Those who receive the first invites and don't come, those are the folks who have better things going on. I don't know if it's quite the, I have to wash my hair excuse, but there's an excuse about why they're not going to be there. And I think that they they don't really come to the kingdom because, quite frankly, they don't need it. Life is pretty good. They don't really need what the kingdom is offering. But the second group who do come, those who do come to be part of the feast, those are the folks who need what the kingdom has to offer. 
They come because they look at the kingdom and they see something that they need, something that they lack in this world. They come because quite frankly, they need a world that is different than this one. And this is the lesson of this parable. If you want to know how to get to the kingdom of God, if you want to know what it looks like, then you've got to follow the folks who need it the most, who need to believe that the kingdoms of this world are not all that there is. You know, the folks who have been downtrodden, oppressed, exploited, those are the folks who are most likely to know that a different kind of kingdom is needed. Those are the folks who are most likely to hear the invite to that kingdom. You know, in the 70s and 80s, there was a theological movement in Latin America. It's called liberation theology. And it was largely made up uh, initially of Catholic priests who were among the poor in countries like Peru and Mexico and Colombia and elsewhere. And these theologians became really critical of the kingdoms of our day. They became really critical of the ways in which people in their countries were being kept in poverty and exploited by the wealthy. And part of what they taught, and maybe the thing that has stuck around the most, is they taught, they taught that God has a preference for the poor. They used the term a preferential option for the poor. Now, they weren't saying that God only saves the poor. This is a really important distinction to make. Their message was not an exclusivist one. Rather, what they were saying was that if you want to understand the message of Scripture, then you need to look towards those who need its promises of a different kind of kingdom. You need to listen to those who need it the most, which would be the poor. This fits pretty well with our parable for today. Those who have other things to do, those who don't need a feast, we can say that the parable is trying to tell us that there are folks who don't really need the kingdom. They don't need a different way. Therefore, they don't accept the invite. But those who are desperate, those for whom the kingdom of this world isn't providing, that those are the folks who are most in need of a feast. Those are the folks who most need what Jesus is inviting folks to. You know, one of the liberation theologians was a Salvadoran priest named Ignacio A. Correa. And he referred to the poor of his country and in the global south in general as a crucified people. What he was saying was that these are the people whose situation in the world mirrors Jesus' life and death. You know, when Jesus came to be with us, he was trying to show us what God was like. And in Jesus, we don't see a ruler. We don't see somebody who's wealthy and powerful. Jesus comes to us as a poor carpenter, a refugee who had to flee from his homeland, an outcast who the scripture says had no place to lay his head. So for Aya Correa and other liberation theologians, this is what the revelation of Jesus is about. That he identifies with the poor, with the outcast, with the marginalized. And so if you want to see what Jesus is like, 
look for those folks. Based on our parable for today and the theme of the kingdom of God, even more can be said about this term, the crucified people of the world. And we've talked a lot in this, in this sermon series about, about the kingdom of Jesus and how it was different from the kingdoms of the world. In fact, Jesus' kingdom is the kingdom turned upside down. So what is first in our world is last in the kingdom, and what is last in the kingdom is first in our world. Who is it who's looking for this new kingdom? It's not the folks who are the best off. Rather, it's those who dream of turning the world on its head. So in the parable of the wedding feast, we can imagine those who the king initially invites are those who are doing the best off, but the folks who need this kingdom, the folks who want to turn the world on its head are those who are not finding what they need in the kingdoms of this world. And of course, those who proclaim another kingdom, well, those folks are always a threat to the current kingdoms. And this is why crucified peoples work so well. Because in the ancient world, crucifixion was a punishment reserved for people accused of insurrection. It was what they did to folks who were challenging the kingdom of Rome. For instance, Around 73 BCE, a slave revolt broke out in the Roman Empire known as the Third Servile War. And you're all like, the Third Servile War? Well, one of the leaders in this was a gladiator named Spartacus. So you can all go, oh. Well, at the end of the war, when the Romans finally overcame the rebellion, they took the 6,000 or so rebelling slaves who were still alive and crucified them all and lined them along the road heading into the village where the rebellion had started. So the point of crucifying folks, the point of crucifying folks who were against the kingdom is to say to people, this is what happens when you proclaim a different kind of kingdom. So the crucified of our world can refer to those who face a similar fate to Jesus who faced poverty and hunger and oppression, but it can also refer to folks who announced the coming of a new kingdom. One which, from the perspective of our earthly kingdoms, sometimes seems rebellious. So Jesus says the kingdom of God is like a wedding banquet. One of the things Jesus is trying to say is that the people who will show us the way are those who need it most. The folks who show us the way are those who are willing to risk being on the wrong side of the current kingdoms. And that's what Ea Curea and other liberation theologians were talking about. And just an aside, Ea Curea died in 1989 when he was murdered by a death squad in his home country of El Salvador. Jesus, the one who is crucified, is trying to reveal to us what the kingdom of God looks like. Where will we find our way to this kingdom? We'll find it when we follow those who share a similar fate with him. So the parable of the wedding banquet is kind of clear. This invitation is for everybody. By the end of this parable, everybody has been invited But at the end of this story, not everyone shows up. 
And that's the lesson for us. Just because you've been invited to the kingdom does not mean you're going to go. You might have better things to do. But one of the gifts of liberation theology for me personally has been its call to recognize Jesus in the downtrodden and oppressed of this world. You know, we as a church really, really prioritize service in our community. And what liberation theology does is asks us to dig a bit deeper about why we do that. You know, rather than think that we should serve the poor because it's what God tells us to do. The gospel actually ramps up the stakes. You serve the poor, you participate in their liberation because that's where you will actually see the face of the divine. That's where you will actually see God. So where is the kingdom of God? It is wherever the poor, the hungry, the thirsty, the naked, the stranger get what they need to live. So serving in our community then isn't just something we do after worship. Serving folks in need in our community is worship. It is seeking the face of God. And so if you want to know where to see God's kingdom, you have been invited. Wherever in our world good news is brought to the poor, wherever release is proclaimed to the captives, wherever recovery of sight to the blind happens, wherever the oppressed are set free, there is the kingdom. Wherever it is that you see someone who is hungry and give them food, wherever you see someone who is thirsty and give them something to drink, wherever you welcome someone who is a stranger, there is the kingdom. And the message is clear, the invites are out. It's not spam. Will you accept? Amen.